doctrine. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And get this, if you were in Christ and then you walked away from Christ, if you stopped remaining in me, what does Jesus say he's going to do? Pick you up and throw you into the fire, which is symbolic of, or an analogy of, hell. That word that doesn't get preached much anymore. Hell. That place that doesn't get talked about. And you know what? Don't you think we should talk about hell? You know, there's a good chance that 95% plus people of the population of the earth are going to spend eternity there. Should we not talk about it a little bit now? When 95% or more of the population of the earth potentially are going to be going there forever and ever and ever, should the church remain silent on the subject of their eternal abode if they don't turn to Jesus Christ? Sure. Preach about hell. Say 90% of the people you preach about hell to reject you, but 10% don't. Receive them. Amen. We're not going for the bigger odds. We're going for the smaller ones, aren't we, in the church? If we can get 1% of them in here, if we can get 1% saved, we're doing pretty good. I'm sure Jesus would love a lot more than that. But if we ignore the essential doctrines of the faith that Jesus did not ignore. Did Jesus ignore the topic of hell? He preached about hell more than any other author in the Bible. Or any other speaker in the Bible, because he was, you know what I mean? He spoke about hell. And guess who he is? Jesus is God. Jesus knew. You know why he spoke about hell so much? Because he was coming to lay his life down on a cross to keep us from going there. To him, it was the thing that, the, the motivating thing that made him come to earth. It was the thing that he lived for. It's for this hour that I came, he said. It was for this hour that I came. To get on that cross for you and me. That's why he came. So should not that be what we speak about? Shouldn't it be our emphasis, the cross of Christ? keep you out of hell when you die you can be guaranteed you're going to go to heaven it's all about jesus guys it's all about jesus there's no other hope there's no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved there is no other name he's it he's it you can't get to heaven you can't you can't face death with confidence in any other name in with any other philosophy or whatever all of that stuff that they teach in the world falls like garbage on the ground when you're facing eternity when you're facing eternity it's got to be jesus on your lips amen jesus Jesus, you live for him completely now, guys. Give yourself to him completely now. Find your place in him now. Devote yourself now. Live for him now with everything in your being. Why wait until the last hours of your life to say, okay, Jesus, now you got me. Do not deliberately sin. Hebrews 10, 26-27, it says, if... We deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. 
No sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. You'll be considered an enemy of God if you deliberately keep on sinning after you've received the knowledge of the truth. Verses 1 to 2, and it says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Take those words in. He wants to remind them. He wants to remind them, like, guys, remember this. Is there a need to have the gospel reminded to the church, brought back to mind? Are we a forgetful bunch? Yeah? How quickly can we forget the Word of God? How quickly can it fall out of our memories when we get influenced by pagan ways? And pagan influence comes along and suddenly, boom, it drops out. And we forget the gospel of God. And so Paul understood humanity, that you have to be reminded. That's why he set up the church. That's why God, Jesus Christ, set up the church to remind the people of the gospel every Sunday and throughout the week as they get together. And it says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So to remind us, we need these constant reminders. So it says here, now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Have we all received the gospel? Yes, Amen. And we've all taken our stand on the gospel. By this gospel, I want you to really understand these words. By this gospel, you are saved if. I'm going over the if sermon again. I think it's critical. If, circle if, everyone put a circle, if you've got a pen or a pencil or something and you don't mind marking your Bible, circle if. And every scripture that I read today, I want you to circle if, because when you come across that again, when you read the scriptures, suddenly it will jump off the page and you'll go, of course, it's been there all along. And no one's ever pointed it out. If, so whoever can, circle that if. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. If you hold firmly to the word. You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Why is that important? Because if you abandon the word, if you walk away from the word, if you stop obeying the word, if you don't do the will of God, if you live for yourself and you abandon everything that Christ has done for you and you just walk away, guess what? You're not saved. You're not saved. If it's conditional. And there are that many ifs, and it's always relating to salvation. It's an if. There's an obligation, and it's not to the sinful nature, it's to live according to the Spirit. That's what the, the word says. So, if, it's a critical term. 
And I'm, I'm preaching this because there's a huge, huge and growing movement in the church called Once Saved, Always Saved. I go over this ground a lot. And you know why I go over this ground a lot? Think about it. What's the most important thing that Christianity boasts? What's the boast of Christianity? Salvation. We boast salvation. Come to Jesus. Get saved. You know, you don't want to go to hell. Come to Jesus and get saved. That's the boast. And now, what happens if you teach a false doctrine in relation to salvation? Don't worry. Now you've received Jesus. You put up your hand. You've received Jesus. Sit back. Don't worry about anything. You can't possibly lose your salvation no matter how hard you try. And I go like this when they say that. Can you show me that in Scripture, please? Could you show me that in Scripture? Because that is a dirty, rotten doctrine. Misleading the church. And then we go, I wonder why the church has got so little power today to influence people. Why it has so little power to influence the Christian to live a holy and righteous life. Why live a holy life if you don't have to? Why stop sinning if you don't have to? Think about it. If you can't lose your salvation, what's there to stop you from living like you used to live? If you think about it, nothing. Nothing. And now there's a growing movement of... I, I had a guy come on online and said, um, I, I, I did a sermon on fearing God, or I mentioned somewhere in the sermon about fearing God, and this guy came on and says... You're not supposed to fear God. You don't fear God. You, you're in, you get in awe of God. You're supposed to be in awe of God but not fear him. And I'm like, really? What does it say about fearing God? What did Jesus say? I'll, I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear God who has the power to throw you into hell. Fear him. Because one person to fear, fear God. Don't fear Satan. Don't feel the circumstances in the world. Don't fear that, you know, the nations are in, you know, going through turmoil. Don't fear this. Fear only God and you can find peace in Christ no matter what the situation. No matter how bad the world gets. No matter if we look out the window and we see, you know, buildings crumbling to the ground and, and earthquakes and, and, you know, you name it armies coming, surging in on, upon, this, upon this state, we can find peace in God because we fear only God. That's why it's so important to have that in place. Fear God and fear God alone. Sure, you might get terrified at situations, right? If, if you see a, a tank coming, crushing through KFC right now, I would say, why don't we run? <laughs> why don't we all head out of here as quick as possible, you know, just get out of here. It's not safe, right? Of course, you're not going to just, uh, you know, just lay over and just take it sort of thing. You're going to try your hardest to stay alive. Amen? But we've got to fear God. Now, the, the word if is, comes from the Greek word ian, and it means, uh, it's, well, it's a particle showing a statement is conditional, refers to a condition extending to its spin-off possibilities. So what that means is, well, we all know what it means, you know. When our dad used to say to us, you know, if you continue doing that, if you continue doing that, you're going to get in trouble. I've said this how many times? 
you know, and you, you know that if you continue doing that, you get in trouble. And he says, if you don't, if you're a good boy, you'll get this. And so you try to be a good boy because you want the good thing. You don't want the bad thing. If's pretty obvious, isn't it? So I'm writing this. I've, I've got the scriptures. I'm going to place them up there for everyone's benefit so that we can, for a start, we can shoot through it pretty quick. And I want you to actually see exactly the words that I'm talking about because we all have different translations. And I'm using this translation for the clarity of which it speaks. So this first one is, we must remain in him. John 15, 5 to 6. And it says, if, oh sorry, it says I. <laughs> I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. So you bear fruit if you remain in him. If you don't remain in him, you won't bear fruit. There's a good, good thing straight there. It tells you whether you're remaining in him. If you don't bear fruit for Christ, if you're not bearing any fruit for Christ, there's a good chance you're not remaining in him. Therefore, that's a faith checker, isn't it? It's to say to yourself, okay, I better get in Christ. And that fruit can be a whole range of different things and it's not for me to talk about now because that's another sermon. And it should be a sermon that I should do soon. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Then it says this, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned and people will say well if they don't remain in him they never were in him in the first place well then that what's the word remain mean if he wasn't in him how can you remain in him you know and I've used the analogy I got married to Vina. I must remain in my marriage so I am married but if I stop remaining in my marriage and I go and do something I shouldn't do and that we get divorced I didn't remain in my marriage. So that's what Jesus is saying. Remain in the marriage with me. Remain in my marriage. So when you say, yes, I receive you, Jesus, he goes, okay, I'll take you at your word. You receive me. I repent of all my sin. Okay, I'll take you at your word. You're cleansed. You're married. You're in me now. Now remain in me. So that, that scripture there is the biggest blow to once saved always saved in the bible it's one of multiple verses but it's it's one of the biggest blows for the for the whole doctrine if anyone does not remain in me he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers and get this if you were in christ and then you walked away from christ if you stopped remaining in me what does jesus say he's going to do pick you up and throw you into the fire which is symbolic of or an analogy of Hell, that word that doesn't get preached much anymore. Hell, that place that doesn't get talked about. And you know what? Don't you think we should talk about hell? You know, there's a good chance that 95% plus people of the population of the earth are going to spend eternity there. Should we not talk about it a little bit now? When 95% or more of the population of the earth potentially are going to be going there forever and ever and ever, should the church remain silent on the subject of their eternal 
abode if they don't turn to Jesus Christ? Sure, preach about hell. Say 90% of the people you preach about hell to reject you, but 10% don't. Receive them. Amen? We're not going for the bigger odds, we're going for the smaller ones, aren't we, in the church? If we can get 1% of them in here, if we can get 1% saved, we're doing pretty good. I'm sure Jesus would love a lot more than that. But if we ignore the essential doctrines of the faith that Jesus did not ignore, did Jesus ignore the topic of hell? He preached about hell more than any other author in the Bible or any other speaker in the Bible because he was, you know what I mean? He spoke about hell and guess who he is? Jesus is God. Jesus knew. You know why he spoke about hell so much? Because he was coming to lay his life down on a cross to keep us from going there. To him, it was the thing that, the, the motivating thing that made him come to earth. It was the thing that he lived for. It's for this hour that I came, he said. It was for this hour that I came to get on that cross for you and me. That's why he came. So should not that be what we speak about? Shouldn't it be our emphasis, the cross of Christ? Keep you out of hell. When you die, you can be guaranteed you're going to go to heaven. It's all about Jesus, guys. It's all about Jesus. There's no other hope. There's no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. He's it. He's it. You can't get to heaven. You can't, you can't face death with confidence in any other name, in, with any other philosophy or whatever. All of that stuff that they teach in the world falls like garbage on the ground when you're facing eternity. When you're facing eternity, it's got to be Jesus on your lips. Amen? Jesus. Jesus. You live for him completely now, guys. Give yourself to him completely now. Find your place in him now. Devote yourself now. Live for him now with everything in your being. Why wait until the last hours of your life to say, okay, Jesus, now you got me. You know? Give him everything while you can. Let's, let's keep moving on. The gospel must remain in you. 1 John 2, 24 to 25. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And this is John, the Apostle John speaking. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Now go back to that word, if it does. There's an inference. If it doesn't remain in you, you won't remain in the Son or in the Father. So you've got to see that the gospel or see that the word that you've heard from the beginning remains in you. That's your responsibility. See that the word of God remains in you. And how do you know it does? You will bear fruit. You will bear fruit as a Christian. We must hold on to our courage and hope, Hebrews 3.6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if 
we hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast. We are his house, we are his temples, if we hold on to our courage and hope. If. If we don't hold on to our courage and hope, we are not his house. You must read the inference. That's what if is all about. We must hold firm to the hope. Hebrews 3, 13 to 14. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is, as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. If we hold firmly to the end, we, the confidence we, in Christ that we had at first, we will share in Christ. If we don't hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first, we won't share in Christ. Does that not what if means? Is that what if means? I can't see any other way of reading that. And you don't have to have done 10 years of studies and at a theological seminary to work that out. This is basic language. You know, I read books on theology and it does my head in. I'm reading it and it's like, oh, man, give me a dictionary. I can't get more than this, a few sentences in. And I'm like, how come I don't feel like this when I read the scriptures? Why do they take the scriptures and mess it up with big words? That's how I feel. That's my little you know, rant about some theologians. They go so deep with these big theological terms and by the time you've worked out what all the words mean, you've lost the meaning of the whole thing anyway. But the scriptures are simple. Simple, aren't they? Jesus spoke in parables as if to children. And aren't we supposed to be like little children? So we're supposed to understand the gospel simply. Not, not, it's, not a, it's not an intellectual thing, the, 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 the Bible. It's simple. And it simply says, like a father saying to a son, or a, even get at this, a father saying to a three or four-year-old boy or girl, if you hold firmly to the end the confidence you had at first, you will come to share in Christ. And the little child will say, but what if I don't? Well, you won't share in Christ. That's what it means. Very easy, isn't it? Let's have a look at this one. 1 Timothy 4.16 Watch your life and doctrine closely. Many of you have heard me preach on this quite a bit. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. So if you persevere in the correct doctrine, it's again, it's coming back to persevering and, and sticking with the word, you know, staying in the word and making sure the word bears fruit in you. If you persevere in that, you will save yourself and you hear it. So if I persevere in it, I'll save me and you guys. So if I start moving away from this doctrine, you've got to come up and give me a slap. Say, Rob, where are you going? You're not going to save yourself or us if you keep preaching like that. So I expect you to hold me, hold me true to this. But as long as I preach this, you know, you've got to preach the, the word pure straight off the page. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. hearers. If you don't, you won't save yourself or your hearers. Now, what have you got to persevere in? Watch your life, the way you live, 
your conduct, your holiness. Make sure you're sanctified, justified in Christ, walking in the Spirit. And your doctrine, the things you think about, the things you believe. Be very careful that you don't fall for the traps of the, the JWs, the Jehovah Witnesses, or the Christadelphians, or, or the Mormons, or, or you know, the um, submerging, what's the submerging church? The emergent church. <laughs> the emergent church doctrines, which they don't hold the Bible as the infallible word of God. They don't say that Jesus is God. They've, they've walked away from all the fundamental truths of, of the scriptures, but they call themselves a Christian church and they suck Christians in and they teach a prosperity kind of good feel message. I'm not welcome in their pulpits. But you've got to watch your life and doctrine closely. You must not disown him. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, Listen to how many ifs are in this. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. So if we don't die with him, we won't live with him. So that means when you're facing that time, when you will be moving on from this life to the next, make sure you're in him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will what? Disown us. So can you be a Christian and then disown Jesus? Yes, you can be a Christian and disown him. You can be married to Christ and then get a divorce. Just like, you know, any husband and wife can be married and get a divorce. It's possible, right? Don't think Jesus is going to hold you against your will. You're saved no matter what you do. I don't care if you go and do all that, you're still saved. It's like a, a wife saying to a husband, I don't care how many women you go and be with outside of me, I'll still forgive you. I don't think so. I don't think so. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Now, faithless is different. Are there many... Do you, you know, at times I feel faithless. I don't have faith. Enough faith. You know, when... You, you really get tested in your faith when you're praying for someone who's sick. Don't you? And that's where you feel where you are in God when you're praying for someone that's sick on their deathbed and you're praying, where's my faith, God? Where's my faith, God? How come I, I'm not surging with faith like a true disciple? How come the word of God doesn't come through me and that person gets up healed? There's many different factors. That's, a, that's another whole, whole sermon. Many factors involved in that. It's not necessarily lack of faith a lot of the time too. It can be God's will. But there's still potentially lack of faith. You know, Jesus constantly rebuked his disciples, you of little faith. He constantly said it. And he didn't mean you only need a little bit of faith. He didn't mean you're a little faith, you've got a mustard seed's worth. He didn't mean that. He just meant you don't have much at all. And if you had even a mustard seed's worth, you could say to this mountain, get in the sea. That's what he's trying to say. Your faith is so small that even a mustard seed is bigger. Isn't that powerful? That's pretty insulting, really. You'd think, oh, I thought I had bigger faith than a mustard seed. 
No, not even the size of a mustard seed, Jesus says. A mustard seed was the smallest garden seed. That's tiny. I've picked up, Luke, you've picked up small seeds in the gardens. You know how you're trying to keep them in your hand and you're trying to plant these tiny microscopic little things and, and they're going to grow into a big bush so you've got to give them a foot between and then they fall out of your hand and they go everywhere. You know that problem? Luch has done a lot of gardening in his life. And uh, so our faith is smaller than that. So we've got to increase in faith, don't we? Yeah? How do we get faith? Okay. Reading the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And prayer. We've got to know the Word and we've got to pray. And we've got to get a deep, deep, deep relationship with Jesus. Until Jesus, like, this, the, like the 12, he sent them out and he gave them authority. We've got to get a relationship with Jesus Christ until he can say, okay, I'll send you out with authority. Go. Cleanse the leper. Cast out the demons. Heal the sick. You know, you want that authority, don't you? And you know you got it because you would have had an experience with Jesus that will he'll give it to you. Colossians, this is you must continue in the faith, Colossians 1, 22 to 23. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And here's the if. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So you're going to be... I'll go back through it again. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. So he wants to present you holy before God without blemish and free from accusation. But there's a condition if you continue in your faith. Because if you don't continue in your faith, you won't end up standing before God without blemish and free of accusation. You'll stand there filthy in his sight. So make sure you walk by the faith. So is there an obligation? The scriptures say there's an obligation. It's not to live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's our obligation. Yep. You know, I had a, um, a woman send me an email, and she's been watching my, because this is part 10 of the New Testament survey, and she's been watching all the ones the previous ones that are up online, I think I'm up to about part six or seven online. And she said, as a, as an, if I, I feel three different approaches to your preaching. One is as someone weak in their faith and I feel like running out the door when I'm listening to you. And then there's another one that is a more humble one, which uh, I receive many of the corrections that you place forward in the, in the ministry. And then there's another one as someone sanctified in Christ where I just completely open, yes, brother, you know, preach it fully. There's something like that she said to me. And I can sort of understand that. I, can, I could understand how hearing this would make you cringe inside because it's not what we get taught much these days, is it? You know, when I started to come across this in Scripture... I came out of a prosperity preaching church. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who's come out of them? Who's come out of prosperity preaching churches? 
all you hear is the goodness of God and that he loves you unconditionally and you're just saved and that's the end of the story because all you did was you just gave your heart, life to Jesus. And it's, to me, it's the most critical, critical element of the faith because Jesus says, and this is, where, this is the scripture that woke me up in Matthew 7, 21, where it says, many will come before me on that day. Say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and, and perform many miracles in your name? And he says, get away from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And then uh, pre previously that he says, because they did not do the will of God. But then if you preach do the will of God, according to what Jesus says, they didn't do the will of God, so they get cast into hell. And these are people that were saying, Lord, Lord, professors, professing Christians... If they didn't, if, if you preach, do the will of God, you're called a legalist. It's like the biggest deception possible is running through the church. So what Satan is doing is he's, he's getting, he's got into the Christian church with a, you can do whatever you want, license for immorality teaching. And I was under that teaching. And it didn't correct my lifestyle, seriously. That teaching does not put you in place. That teaching did not make me holy, I can tell you that much. Sure, I professed Christ. I said I was, you know, I had died to the world and all that and living for Christ. But I was so free. Not free from sin, free to sin. And when you're free to sin and there's no conviction... Is that's a problem. That's fire. That's dangerous. It's playing with fire. And this is what we have in the church. Now, I go over this, do I go over this ground a lot in this church? And I can see a lot of you, you know where I'm going all the time, but do I have to keep re reaffirming it? You know? I don't do it every week. I'll try to change my message next week. You should, yeah. <laughs> Deborah's speaking for everyone there. All right, next week, another one of these. Yeah. So if you continue in your faith, establish and firm, not move from the hope had, held out in the gospel. We'll go to the next one. Lost as possible, Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, and it says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Now, let's catch that word again. It's impossible. So this is the writer of the book of Hebrews saying, It's impossible, guys, for this to occur. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, so once knew the truth of Christ, who have tasted the heavenly gift. And who's the heavenly gift? The Holy Spirit. So you've, he's had the Holy Spirit. Who has shared in the Holy Spirit. So tasted of and shared in the Holy Spirit. Who has tasted the goodness of the word of God and seen that this is surely good. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and, and known about the coming age, heaven coming to earth and the millennial kingdom reign of God or Jesus Christ on earth as God. If they fall away, straight away, that tells you once saved, always saved, it's not true. Straight away, because it says if they fall away, to be brought, it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And you know what I think happens to, you know, like Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Israelites and 
He, he, he hardened his heart, and then after that it said God hardened it. It also says in Romans that he hands them over. He hands people over to Satan, in a sense. If they've been a Christian, they've lived for Christ, they've believed in Christ, and then they've, they've walked away, they've disowned him, it's impossible for that person to get brought back to Jesus. That's it. That's it. That's Scripture. Who are we to say any different if Scripture tells us that? So what's that saying? That person has rejected Jesus Christ and he can't repent again. Now, how far that is down on the whole backsliding scale, I don't know. How far you have to backslide as a Christian, how cold or lukewarm is probably a better word, how lukewarm you have to get until Jesus says, you're out, I'll spit you out of my mouth. How far down the scale of backsliding does a person have to get? All I can say to you guys is don't let yourself slide down that slippery scale. Don't slide down to that point where repentance won't even save you anymore. Because what I believe God does is he'll hand you over and you won't want to have Christ back. And you'll, you'll see him come from the east to the west and you still won't repent. That's what, happened. That's what the scriptures say. They won't repent. The two witnesses are on earth and they're doing all these signs and wonders and doing all these, performing all these miracles before them and they won't repent. They've hardened their hearts. The love of most will grow cold. That's, a, that's powerful scripture, isn't it? It's in the Bible. Some people go, really, is that in the Bible? It's in the Bible. Read your Bibles. It's in there. Do not deliberately sin. Hebrews 10, 26 to 27, it says, If... We deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. No sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. You will be considered an enemy of God if you deliberately keep on sinning after you've received the knowledge of the truth. Read that if you feel tempted, if you don't want to live a holy life. Read that a few times. Keep that close to your heart. Keep it there as a checkpoint to say, hang on, what are you about to do? Don't do it. Live holy, righteous life. How many scriptures have I been pulling up in this survey of it's continuously you're hearing it, the, the word of God telling you to, to live a holy life and if you do, you'll receive the kingdom of God. It's about living a holy life. That's what Christianity for, for 18 to 1900 years, that's all Christian, Christians knew. Holiness. You're sanctified in Christ, now stay holy. You repent, you get sanctified, stay holy because repentance means turn from sin. That's what it means. It doesn't mean I said sorry to God and that's it. It's not what it means. It means turn from sin and stop living that way. Sanctified, holy. 18 to 1900 years, that's what was preached from every, well, not every pulpit, every true Christian pulpit, <laughs> right? And then what happened? Uh, in come along, uh, uh, what come along is once saved, always saved doctrine. And a whole huge amount of other watered-down teachings. And it's corrupted the church. Corrupted the church. To the point that when you preach holiness, you're called a legalist and they actually call you a heretic. Seriously, I've been called a heretic. I'm going, are you for real? I'm, 
like, which scripture did, did you not agree with? <laughs> Could you point out the scriptures that you don't agree with? And then they'll bring up their scripture, which they'll try to read in their doctrine. By, but it's got nothing, it doesn't mention any of the things that we sort of talk about, all the scriptures I bring up. They'll bring up a scripture that will talk about other things. Now, why I'm telling you this, I'm not bagging churches. I'm saying, guys, the, the potential here is for a huge falling away of the faith in the coming days. Huge, massive. Falling away, backsliding, loss, churches losing. They say 2.2 billion people on the earth are Christian. Seeing that dramatically decrease till hardly anyone will call themselves Christian. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about this great coming deception and that multitudes falling away from the faith. And that'll be the sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ. That'll be the sign of the end. So if we deliberately keep on sinning, God will consider you an enemy. Is that what it says there? Let me read it again so you can see it. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume enemies of God. Anyone who goes to hell is considered an enemy of God. And that's where those that keep on sinning, Christian or not, will go if they habitually sin. Habitually. Hebrews 12, 14b, without holiness, no one will even see the Lord. You won't even see God. You won't even see Jesus if you're not holy. That means, you know, that going to heaven is out of the question. See, what God wanted to do with creation, he's he's taking a sinful people a sinful, sin-filled people. And he died on the cross for them to make them holy. And then as part of the development of that creation and the growth, he wanted to see them. He wants to see them growing in holiness, growing in their sanctified life. Does that make sense? That's... The idea of it. So the church is a, a sanctifying, you know, uh, what's the word? Sanctifying organization, I suppose. We're here to, you know, make sure that the church or the, or the people of the church are holy. Make sure that they get cleaned up and that they live holy and righteous lives. And, you know, if the moment you decide, okay, Jesus, it's all you. I'm just going to live for you. My thoughts are going to be your thoughts. My heart is going to be your heart. My mind, everything is yours. I live for you totally, 100%. Then you start, for, for a start, that's where joy is. Is not joy in that? In being in Christ. And from that moment forward, you're going to start to get useful. 2 Peter 1, 10 to 11, it says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. So what is he saying? Make sure that your election and your calling, which is, you know, your calling and election to be saved, make it sure. For if you do these things, and he, he listed off a whole heap of things, if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. But if you don't do these things, you will fall and you won't receive a rich welcome. 
If you don't do these things, which is, you know, live, live sanctified, holy lives and, and, and read the Word of God and make sure the Word of God and the Gospel is... We remind each other of the Gospel continually and we, we do these things. We live this life. If you don't do those things, you won't receive a rich welcome. Salt of the earth. Matthew 5.13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if... But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by men. If your salt loses its saltiness, it can't be made salty again. Once salt loses its saltiness, that's the end of it. You throw it out. It's done. It's like, you, you know, you... You use a tea bag up until all the tea is out of it. If you put it in water, nothing. It's got no more, so just throw it out. You know, make sure you get stay salty for God. That uh, runs in line with that. Uh, it's impossible to be brought back to God, to be brought back to salvation. The one that was earlier runs in line with that. Now, John 8, 5, it says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If anyone keeps my word, if anyone doesn't keep his word, he will see death. And what's he talking about? He's not talking about just death from this life, because everyone will die. Because I can't go preaching, it's just talking about this death, because that means I'd be a liar, because I'd be saying, if you keep his word, you will never die from earth. That's not what it's meaning, is it? That'd be ridiculous, because... Every great saint of the past has died. But we know they don't really die, they sleep. Their bodies sleep. And then they will be brought back, given back to them in the resurrection. That's our hope. But I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see eternal death. That's what it means, eternal death. So keep his word, good, good uh, incentive to keep his word. We must walk in the light. Is there a lot of scriptures? Let's teach this doctrine. I'm pouring them on you because I think you need to see them. 1 John 1, 6-7, it says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do, do not live by the truth. If we claim to have fellowship, if we claim to be connected to Jesus Christ and we're one with Jesus Christ, yet we walk in darkness, mean by living by the sin nature, we lie and the truth is is not in us. But if we walk in the light, so this is an if, you've got to walk in the light, guys. You must walk in the light, because if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But if we don't walk in the light, it doesn't. So stay in the light. John 8, 31 to 32 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So if you want to be a disciple of Christ, continue in his word. If you don't continue in his word, you are not a disciple, and you won't know the truth, and the truth will not set you free. That's the inference. That's the inference. Fear and trembling. Philippians, this hasn't got an if in it. Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now you understand why that's written. 
Now you understand why it's written that we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Meaning, fearing God and being so fearful of God that we tremble if we even go near the concept of sin. Too scared to sin. Fear and trembling. Too scared to sin. Sin confronts you, you're too scared to look at it. You're too scared to go there. Because your fear of God will keep you from sinning. And the knowing of the truth of eternal salvation loss will keep you from sinning. And it will keep you growing in the word. It will keep you living a holy life. It will keep you righteous before him. Amen? Like I said, for 1,800 years, this is what they preached. But it's changed. I just had a, 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 an email from a lady or a man, a lady, I, don't, I can't remember if it's a lady or a man, but they live in Perth. They said, where's there a church that preaches what you preach? I said, I haven't sent the text, uh, email back yet because I got it last night. And I'm just going to go, I've got no idea. <laughs> I've got no idea. Anyone know a church that preaches a doctrine similar to this in Perth? No. Sharon didn't think there was one in Adelaide, did you? Yeah. Andy said, I want to go to a church that preaches on hell, preaches about repentance, preaches against sin. La la la, and Sharon said, Good luck. And, and I love that little laugh you added to it. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, I hope you found it. <laughs> we come down on it hard, don't we? All right. That's good. Worthless religion, James 1.26. If anyone, this is another if, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religious is, religion is worthless. If you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion is worthless. I've heard so many Christians, I sit with them and I'm thinking, man, this is the most pagan Christian I've ever met. You know, I'd be embarrassed to bring them home to my parents, talking like that. And my parents are pagan, they don't believe in Christ. And they, they've got cleaner language than some of the Christians I've sat with. I'm not saying all Christians are like that, but there's a few. Have you ever met any, Andy? Oh, yeah. It's like going out, going out with a sailor or something. All right, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers? What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now, that's interesting. Faith without deeds, the question is, can it save him? The question answered, No. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about works here, but faith, you know, faith and deeds go hand in hand. They go together. It's not that you have to do them. You just will do them. It will be fruit, fruit popping off your tree. It just happens. You don't go to the apple tree and the apple tree doesn't say to you, I'll pop out fruit if I feel like it. The apple tree just will bear fruit because it's an apple tree. They bear fruit. An orange tree bears fruit. It'll bear oranges, doesn't it? A Christian bears fruit. Pop, out it comes. It's not, you don't go there year after year expecting to see fruit. And if there's no fruit, what did Jesus say about that tree? Yeah, he cursed a fig tree. What about the other one where he says that the man came and he says, don't, don't chop it down yet. And he dug around it and he fertilized it, gave it a bit of time, a few years. He says, let me give it another year or two just to see if it does bear fruit. So that's what I'm doing. I'm Fertilizing, digging around, let's get some fruit. 
Let's get some fruit, because if we don't get fruit, it's evidence that we're not Christian, and we're not disciples, and we'll be in danger of the fire of hell because Jesus will chop us down. Is this scriptural? I'm trying not to make it up. I'm trying not to put my words and my philosophy into it. This is just scripture. It jumps off the page. It jumps off the page if you read the Bible and the Bible alone. I'll tell you why most people miss it, most ministers. This is the problem today. And I, I know because I've, I've done uh, Bible studies and stuff online and you know, studied all this uh, the way that people study these days. The way people preach today is they read their favourite latest book. I haven't got one here. They read their favourite book and then they start preaching according to the concepts that they learn in their favourite book. And they preach according to the scriptures. And they're all doing it and they're all missing it. Well, not all. A lot are missing it. That's the only way you could preach prosperity and once saved, always saved, is because you just don't come across these scriptures. You don't read them. Because if there's a, a book that has all these scriptures, that's not the book that they're going to be buying. So what I decided a long time ago is read this and this alone and read it and dwell on it and stay in it and keep looking at it and keep reading it and keep going deeper and keep going deeper and keep going deeper until the doctrines are clear. And if you see my Bibles at home, I put dashes next to the chapters when I read them. And I've got many different translations and I've read through them and you can go into a lot of my translations and see heaps of dashes against each, each chapter in each book of the Bible. And it, it will show you, and, that's not, and, and I, that's not counting when I just read a chapter over and over again once, um, for a sermon. I might read a chapter ten times and not put one dash. And I've done that for, and it doesn't count the times before I read it, before I put the dashes. So what I'm saying is, I've read it and reread it and reread it and reread it hundreds, hundreds and hundreds, I don't know about thousands, maybe, I've not counted. And it starts to get clear after that amount of reading. It starts to come to the point where the whole jigsaw is clear in your mind and all the pieces just pop together. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and anoints the sermons and it just is clear as crystal, isn't it? Can you see it? Dead faith, James 2.17. I'm going to keep going a little bit longer, guys. James 2.17 to 19. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. But faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So faith without action. So you can have faith, but if you're not living, walking in your faith, it's dead. It's dead. So it's telling you, live out your faith. Walk according to your faith. Walk according to the principles that you get taught in the Bible. We must produce fruit. Matthew 3, 8 to 10. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, we're told to. Jesus tells us, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Do not think you can say to yourself that we put up our hand in a, in a meeting 20 years ago and gave our life to Christ and you're covered. Do not believe that. The Israelites, descendants of Abraham, couldn't even call on and say, hey, Abraham, don't forget I've got Abraham, I'm saved. Jesus will say, hey, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So it's telling you, every tree, every tree of Christian tree, every Christian tree, if it's not bearing fruit, is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's referencing trees because he's talking to the people that are believing on him. He said, every tree, every tree among you, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 6, 14 to 15, for if you, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you're as good as unsaved. doesn't matter how good you know the Scriptures, doesn't matter how good you you think you are in any way whatsoever. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you are unsaved. End of story. And you could be a Christian for 50 years and hold resentment and hatred towards someone, you're not saved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If you're not, so how do you know if you're in Christ? You're a new creation. You're completely new. God's filled you. And you're walking in Him. And you're finding your rest in Him. You're finding your peace in Him. Amen? Jude 3 to 4. Just now I'm just going to quickly get you to open your, your Bibles. So go to Jude verse 3. And I just wanted to add this on at the end. Because it's important that we see this. The Bible's amazing at pointing out that this time now was prophesied. Now that you understand what I'm talking about, Jude 3 to 4, you know when I, I was talking about churches that are teaching false doctrine? And some people, I've had many people online say, well, you shouldn't go, you know, pointing out people and, um, you know, saying things against other ministers and stuff like that. I try not to say anything against specific ministers, but sometimes I do, can't help it. There's a few out there that I just say, beware, don't listen to that guy. There's many more than I've ever told you to, but I've mentioned just a handful of names. Joel Osteen, didn't mean to say that. But you know what? The disciples used to do it too. The disciples, Paul used to talk about, don't go near this guy. He did me much harm when I was in that city. You know, and at, at my... I needed help and they all fled. They all fled. All of the church of that point fled, didn't help me out. You know? So Paul used to talk about people that had done him in and or teaching false doctrines, false teachers. They And even talk about Bar Jesus, you know, false teacher at the time. Talking about the Pharisees that were coming along and teaching you must be circumcised to be saved. You know? Adding to it, to the scriptures. But it says here in Jude 3, it says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. See, we've got to contend for this faith. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God, hyper-grace. They're talking about hyper-grace back then who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. Let's go to the next one, which is 2 Peter 2. 
17. 2 Peter 2, 17 to 22, and it says, These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words and are appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it. Did you hear that? If you've escaped the world, if you've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Saviour Jesus Christ and you're then again entangled back in the world again and are overcome by it, they are worse off at the end than what they are at the beginning. They're worse off now. There's a worse place in hell for them now. Blackest darkness. It would have not it would have been better for them not to have known. It would have been better for them not to have known about Jesus at all. Than to have known the way of righteousness and oh sorry, and have known the way of righteousness, than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred commandment that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Whew. Make sure you're not a, a sow. Did I say sow? Sow. Sow. <laughs> Thinking of gardening. A sow. Jude 5, let's go there. I don't think that needed any commentary from me and i also saving you sitting there much longer. So we can, let's go to Jude 5, back to Jude. And it says in Jude verse 5, and it goes, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Now, isn't that interesting? He wants to remind you that, hey, God delivered Israel out of Egypt, but then he destroyed people. Then he destroyed people, and it says, but later destroyed those who did not believe. So you can be delivered out of evil. You can be delivered out of the world. You can be delivered in, by Jesus Christ, and then you can get destroyed later. And he's, that's why he's reminding us. He's saying, hey, it happened to the Israelites. It can happen to the church. It can happen to Christians as well. And then I'm going to show you where it says this, 1 Corinthians 10. So go to 1 Corinthians we're nearly finished. 1 Corinthians 10. 10 to 1 to 12. Good to see you, Lou. And you too, Johnny. For I do not want you to be ignorant. Is everyone there? I'll wait for Andy. Everyone's waiting for Andy now. Pressure's on. Sorry, Andy. One Corinthians ten, and it says, "For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea." So what they're saying is, under the cloud of God, they all passed through the sea. They saw this great miracle, the parting of the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. So they drank from the rock. They saw the rock split open and pour forth water. They drank from it. And that rock was Christ. 
Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered over the desert. And at one time, the earth opened up and swallowed about 20,000 of them. Straight down, straight down into hell. Bang, one, one, one big mouthful. Now these things, read this and read it carefully. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us, who? The Christians, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. As they did. Don't set your heart on evil things. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan rivalry. Getting, you know, rolling drunk. Don't go there. And then pagan rivalry, like, you know, sexually immoral. That's what they did. I won't explain that any further, but it was a, a bad scene that occurred. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by the snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did. So don't become grumbling Christians. Find your joy in Christ, don't grumble. And were killed by the destroying angel. God gets fed up. God's patience wears thin. We've got to find our hope in him. We've got to find our, our joy in him. We've got to find our life in him. We've got to find everything is in Christ. And then it says here, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings. See, the word warning comes up here. As warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You know, I, 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 fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Do not think you're standing firm. Don't think it for a moment because that's the evil one coming giving you pride. Giving you pride. Pride goes before a destruction. Stand firm in him. In him. Because I tell you, you won't be in hell for more than one minute that you would say, please let me go back and live my life over again. I'll live for you completely. Just get me out of here. One minute in hell. Not even. How long does it take? How long does it take when you, you, you know, you've just cooked something on the stove and you've touched the hot plate? How long does it take before you pull your finger away? It's instant, isn't it? You will just... Drop into hell and instantly, like, pop, the moment you're, you've popped in there, you're going, get me out of here. Instantaneously, you do not want to be there. And you'll say, let me go back and live a holy and righteous life. I won't go near sin. Near sin at all. I will live for you. I will put you first in everything. You will be my one and only, and that's it. My heart will be completely sold to you. Don't let your heart get hardened by sin and the deceivingness, deceitfulness of this, of this world. Because this world is dreadfully deceiving. Dreadfully. Amen. Galatians 5.16. I'm really pouring it on you today, guys. Thought I'd come out with hammer and tong. 
thought, if I'm going to do it, let's do it. Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 16, and it says, So I say, and this is a good one to finish on, So I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Underline this, write it on your car, put it on your mirror. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict. They are in con constant conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. That's why they're in conflict, to keep us from doing what we want. And if we're doing what we want, guess what? That's sin. That's the sinful nature. That's the flesh. Because the flesh wants to do stuff. And it always wants to do stuff. So it says, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So wake up in the morning, give yourself to God in prayer. Give yourself over to Him in prayer, an ample prayer. And if you can't pray, Sit in his presence. Kneel in his presence. Get in his presence. Stay in his presence. Amen. But give yourself over to him. Say, you know what? Everything in my flesh wants to come out of this room, wants me to not do this. Who's had that experience? You go into prayer, you sit down, and you're just thinking, everything in me doesn't want to be here. And you've got to learn to say, no flesh. I'm going to live by the Spirit. Say no. And stay there in the presence of God. Even if you can't pray, stay. It's a good catchphrase, isn't it? Even if you can't pray, stay. Write that down, someone. <laughs> 16 to 21. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But if you're not led by the Spirit, you are under the law. That's the if. How do you know you're under the law? You're not led by the Spirit. You're led by the sinful nature. If you're sinning all the time, you're under the law. And you know what? You can only get condemned under the law. You can't get condemned under grace. But if you're under grace, it's because you're living by the Spirit. That's the only way to be under grace. That whole grace teaching is a, is a farce that they're doing at the moment. They're saying, you, you know, you're under, the, under grace. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's not true. I won't go there because I've preached on this ample. But the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. So just in case you didn't know, he says they're obvious, and most people go, really? I didn't know that. But they're obvious. But the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Look those words up when you're home, because I won't do it now. Idolatry and witchcraft. And as I always say, is pharmakeia, which also means drug-taking. We get the word pharmacy from pharmakeia. Witchcraft. Hatred. Jealousy, no, discord, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Got to be careful of that. That's a common one among us. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, who's he warning? The Galatians. I warn you, Galatians, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think I can close the case on that. Who thinks that? Did I sort of get it today? Yeah. 
So, in, in relation to this doctrine, if you don't like it, take it up with God. Don't, don't take it up with me, because I'm, I'm sick of, you're wrong. <laughs> you know? Take it up with God. If you don't like it, it's there. Did I, did I speak Rob then? Was that Rob? Or was that, was that Scripture? The Scripture says it. So who are we to say, that's not true? I think I had, was there, what, 30 Scriptures? I don't know. There was a lot. I'm glad we've got Elizabeth. She's going to count them all for me. Yeah, keep going. Count them. Count them. I'd like to have an accurate figure on this. There's a lot. She's still counting. No wonder you've been sitting here so long. Sorry, guys. It's coming, it's coming. Should have got Matthew to do this, Elizabeth. Accountant. 28. Okay, I was two off 30. 28, that's pretty good. Okay, and there's more, by the way. I haven't counted all the other scriptures that were in all my part one to nine. I think I estimate 60 scriptures that I've been through in that lot as well. So the doctrine is clear. Amen. And so, Lord, we just, we just commit this to you. Lord, and I thank you that you enabled me to preach this today on, on such a day. As uh, for Vina and I in the sense of what we uh, witnessed last night and we, what we saw and the faith that we got uh, experienced and, and uh, was part of was just mind-blowing, Lord. And so we just thank you. Thank you for what you've done in the lives of those people and I pray that you'd really help them and strengthen them as well. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. And Lord, just bless every single person here by the power and the power of God. May, it, may your power go with everyone here, Lord. May your uh, spirit speak to them continuously about the scriptures that I brought up. May it just over and over again just speak into their hearts. May uh, everything they read in the, the, the Bible every day when they do their Bible reading, may they see what I'm talking about. May it just come forth out of the, out of the word and... Um, in a sense, just keep reminding them of the true gospel that's been preached for so many hundreds of years, Lord, and has always been uh, a call to holiness coming from the church. And I do pray, Lord, that you help us as a church to be holy and blameless in your sight so that we will bless you at your coming, that we will um, not be ashamed at your coming, but we may be one of those that rejoice church that rejoices at the coming of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we ever move on from this life, that you would receive us open arms and we will not have any issue with our salvation. We will know without a shadow of a doubt that we are saved uh, by faith in you and your faith outworked in our life. So I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Just bless us all now and and, uh, bless us in our fellowship time. May we have a wonderful time of fellowship. And be with us and uh, be with every one of them, everyone here. Help them to uh, get through the trials and hardships that they're going through in their days because every single person here has different trials and hardships. And I pray that you help all of them uh, to uh, get through and and do the things that they're called to do. And may you um, bless them immensely in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. God bless you.